We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word, and I invite you to take out your Bibles and open up to the book of Hebrews and the 8th chapter, the book of Hebrews and the 8th chapter this morning as we resume our series in the book of Hebrews after a holiday break. And our focus this morning will be on Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. And I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning. Here the writer states, beginning in verse 1 of Hebrews 8, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. Again, we thank you for this opportunity to gather as your people. And we would ask for your blessing today as we are assembled in the name of your Son to be instructed and encouraged in our most holy faith. And we would ask now for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he would be our teacher and guide, that he would reveal to us the meaning of this passage. He would help us to understand it properly and to apply it to our own lives in such a way that our thinking is transformed, our conduct is changed, and our lives demonstrate active obedience to your commands. So bless us now, we pray. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. Brethren, the Old Testament high priest held a grand and noble ministry, for his service was to God, and what he did for God had benefits that also flowed down to the people. And yet, as we observed back in Hebrews chapter 7, the ministry of the Old Testament high priest, as grand and as noble as it was, was also hindered in many respects by the reality of the high priest's weakness and the temporary nature of his labors. For the Old Testament high priests were subject to sin themselves. In fact, they had to offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sins, and they were also subject to death as well. And so no sinful priest could live forever, given that his own mortality would prohibit him from remaining in office. And so the Old Testament high priests were both a blessing 
and a liability. For they were noble men who stood in the gap between a holy God and a needy, sinful people, performing a work that was critical to the spiritual life of Israel, and yet they were also sinners themselves who stood before God in their own weakness and who occupied an office that was only temporary and earthly in nature. Needless to say, the writer's purpose in stressing these truths leading up to this eighth chapter of Hebrews has been to impress upon us not just the need for a better priesthood, but for a better high priest. A high priest who is not subject to these weaknesses and limitations that have been discussed so far, and a high priest who ministers at a level that is far greater and far more effective than the high priests of the Old Testament did. And this high priest that we need has already been presented to us. In fact, let us notice how the writer begins this eighth chapter, for he writes, Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a priest. Or in other words, the need that we have for a high priest who is not subject to all of the weaknesses and limitations and liabilities that we've been discussing up to chapter 8 has already been filled. He has already arrived. He has already ascended to the Father's right hand where he now ministers to us permanently. Not temporarily, not merely in an earthly sense, but permanently. Who is this high priest? Mentioned here in verse 1. Who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of God in heaven? Well, no doubt he is the Lord Jesus. For as we consider back in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14... We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens and because he has ascended, because he is already seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning as the King of kings, we are exhorted to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace where we will receive mercy and grace to help in time of Need. So not only do we now have such a high priest, but we're encouraged, we're commanded to draw near to this high priest who is already ruling, who is already ministering. For Jesus is not only occupying a privileged place at the right hand of God the Father, but he is dispensing mercy. He is dispensing mercy. Let that sink in for a moment. He is dispensing mercy from his throne to all who approach him by faith, to all who approach him with confidence and boldness, which is something that no earthly priest who was subject to spiritual weakness and limitations could do. Why is Jesus able to minister to God and to his people in this way or in this manner, in a way that is far superior and, in the words of the Hebrew writer, far more excellent than any earthly high priest could? Well, the writer tells us why here in verse 2. 
And it is because he is a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up and not man. And here the writer gives us some remarkable insights into the way in which Jesus is now ministering. It's amazing. The writer, as it were, kind of pulls back the curtain so that we can see some insight here into how Jesus Christ is uniquely ministering to us. Because it's important to note that while Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, he is not inactive. He is not inactive, but rather he is still God's minister and he is still ministering. He is still our minister or pastor in holy places, as the writer states here in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 8. In fact, he never ceases to be our true minister. He never ceases to be our high priest. He never ceases to be the one who ministers to our needs. And this should give us an abiding comfort. Regardless of what we do, regardless of what happens on this earth, he continues to minister. Only now Jesus ministers in the holy places, or better yet, the holy place. For Jesus is now in that place where holiness dwells. Or in other words, Jesus is now in the very presence of the Father. Jesus is now in that place where no earthly high priest could ever enter because it is so high above and so far removed from anything that exists here on this earth. For there is, according to the writer of Hebrews here, a true tent, a true tabernacle in heaven. A tent or tabernacle that God himself dwells in. In fact, it is his heavenly sanctuary. It is his alone because the Lord set it up and not mere man or some earthly high priest. And needless to say, these words from the writer of Hebrews are compelling because they are saying something here about heavenly realities. They reveal to us things that the human eye cannot see. Think about that. Heavenly realities that exist, that are often out of our minds because we cannot see them, but nevertheless they are even more real in a sense than that which we try to perceive. For no earthly priest has seen this tent, this heavenly tabernacle of which the writer speaks, and yet Jesus has not only seen it, but Jesus Christ now occupies it. Jesus Christ is alone the minister of it. And of course it is in this sense that his ministry is far more excellent than the ministries of the Old Testament priests before Christ. For those priests ministered at a tent, at a sanctuary that was simply a crude representation of the original that is in heaven. But Jesus, once he ascended up into heaven, entered into that true tent itself. And he entered into it 
not with the blood of goats and calves, as we shall see in Hebrews 9, 12, part of which Mark read this morning in our reading of the gospel. But Jesus entered into it with his very own blood. With his very own blood. For that which was shed by the Holy Son of God deserved to be poured forth in that holy place of God as a means of a holy and eternal redemption for all of God's elect people. And so what the Hebrew writer is describing here in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 2 is in one sense too high for us to imagine. It is in one sense simply too complex, too glorious for us to fathom, for none of us have seen this place of which he is now speaking. None of us can fathom its beauty or its magnificence. In fact, the priests of the Old Testament simply stood in a type of it, as I said before. But Jesus is now in it. He is the high priest and the minister of it. What is the nature of his ministry there? Well, let us notice beginning here in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 8. That the writer contrasts the work of the high priest in the Old Testament with the work of Jesus in this heavenly tabernacle or tent mentioned to us back in verse 2. And he emphasizes first what the Old Testament high priest was appointed to do and how that relates to the ministry of Jesus as well. Notice verse 3 here. The writer says here in verse 3, Every high priest was appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, and thus it was necessary for this priest also, this priest obviously referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, to have something to offer. And how was the ministry of Jesus as our high priest more excellent in this sense than the ministry of the Old Testament high priest? Well, the writer does not develop an answer here in detail, although he will do so later in Hebrews chapter 9. But the short answer is this, that Jesus did have gifts and sacrifices that he was appointed to offer, but what he offered was of such great worth and eternal value that it was rightly presented in heaven and not on earth. Note that. It was rightly presented in heaven and not on earth. It was of such a great value that the only place it could really be honored and valued is in heaven. For as a minister of the heavenly tabernacle, the sanctuary of God, Jesus gave gifts and sacrifices of a truly heavenly nature. A heavenly tabernacle demands heavenly sacrifices, which no earthly priest with all of his sinful limitations could have possibly done. And of course, what made Jesus' gifts and sacrifices just that much more valuable was the fact that he made them, although he was under no lawful obligation to do so. For you'll recall that Jesus was not appointed as a high priest under the law, 
Don't miss that point. Jesus was not appointed as a high priest under the law. In fact, under the law, Jesus would not have been qualified to be a high priest since he came from what tribe? The tribe of Judah, the royal tribe, the kingly tribe, and not the tribe of Levi. And so Jesus would not have been appointed as a high priest under the law in a earthly sense. Notice what our text says here in verse 5, excuse me, verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 8. It confirms this. It says here, if he were on earth or if his authority to minister was merely an earthly one, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. So again, this is saying something very unique about Jesus, very excellent about Jesus. What was remarkable is that it was not based upon the Mosaic law. When I say it, I mean his priesthood and his gifts were not based upon the Mosaic law, but it was based upon the eternal commission of God the Father. The eternal commission of God the Father. For in order for Jesus to minister on the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high, in order for Jesus to be a minister in the holy place, in order for Jesus to serve in the true tabernacle of God, he needed a commission that was given long before and a commission that extended long after the law of God had been given to Moses at Sinai. No doubt Jesus had such a commission from the Father even before he ascended to the Father's right hand. So he has a unique commission to do this heavenly work. Then not only is our Lord's ministry more remarkable, or to use again the words of the Hebrew writer, more excellent in terms of its authority apart from the law, but also in terms of its fullness, in terms of its fulfillment for in the priestly service of Jesus there is not only an emphasis on what is heavenly over what is earthly but also upon what is real over that which is just a copy what is real over that which is just a copy for in speaking of the ministry of the Old Testament high priest, the writer states in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 8 that they serve a copy. Notice that. A copy and a shadow of things to come. That's the best that they could do. To serve a copy in the shadow of things to come. Meaning that when the Old Testament high priests ministered before the Lord and before the people, they did so out of the limited knowledge that they had about heavenly realities. And even what they did know was surrounded in a large degree by shadow and by mystery. Think about that. For given that no high priest prior to Jesus had ascended up into the heavenlies, there was not a complete knowledge of what truly existed above. This is so insightful. 
this shares with us the limitations of the Old Testament priesthood in a way that is not found anywhere else in Holy Scripture. The limited knowledge of the priest, the limited awareness and understanding of heavenly realities, the fact that only copies are being served up and not the real substance. In fact, the writer to the Hebrews states here in verse 5, they were referring, they referring to the Old Testament priests, serve a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. For in the course of progressive revelation, it was not God's will in the Old Testament to fully reveal and to completely reveal what the purpose of Christ's ministry would be. But rather, it was God's will that his people in the Old Testament first learn about the extent of their weakness and about the inadequacies of all earthly ministry provisions. Did you hear that? It was not God's will to reveal fully to them in that day what was going on. They needed to learn first their own weakness. They needed to learn first their own limitations, the limitations of the priesthood itself, the limitations of the revelation that they had received, the limitations of the provisions that God had even made for them. They needed to be encountered with all of that first before they were ready to begin to receive and understand the fullness of it that would later be revealed. Therefore, even under the glory that surrounded the ministry of Moses and the Old Testament priests, even that which Moses was told to erect were only a pattern revealed, only intended to show people what God wanted them to know at that time. Moses was instructed. We are reminded here in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, which is citing Exodus 25 and verse 40, that everything he was to make was to be according to the pattern that was shown to him on the mountain. For back on that holy mountain, the people of God were blessed with a truly stunning degree of revelation for their day. They were given the pattern of a tabernacle that had a heavenly origin. In fact, the tabernacle that they would see after it was built was unlike anything that they had ever seen before. It had been designed by God himself, and everything about the tabernacle in the Old Testament pointed to their need for divine forgiveness and a, and a future deliverer. In fact, we know now that everything about the Old Testament tabernacle pointed to Jesus Christ, although they were not fully aware of it at that time. They were not fully aware of the extent to which Christ was represented in the tabernacle. There were certain aspects of the earthly tabernacle that were only presented as a copy. There were certain aspects of the tabernacle that were mere shadows of what would later be fully revealed under Jesus Christ and the nature of his labors. For while the tabernacle was a clear source of divine revelation about the holiness of God, it was only limited and shadowy revelation at best. 
because the high priestly ministry of Jesus Christ was still far in the future. And it would be the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross that would actually drive away the shadows. Do you hear that? That's what would drive away the shadows. That's what would bring the light. That's what would reveal the true substance, the true heavenly realities, the light of the person of Jesus Christ and his cross. And so not only is the ministry of Jesus Christ more excellent in terms of where and how he ministers, but it is also more excellent in terms of what Jesus reveals about the holy nature of the Father and about the heavenly realities that surround our redemption, which Jesus Christ has purchased. For truly Moses was instrumental in delivering the copy of what God had designed, but it was left for Jesus in a far greater and more excellent manner to fully reveal the ways of God with respect to his dealings with his own people under the new covenant. For what Jesus did when he entered into the true heavenly tent, when Jesus entered into the very presence of God, was to pull back the curtain fully, as I suggested earlier this morning, to allow us with spiritual eyes to actually see what the nature of his sacrifice truly was and how you and I fully benefit from it. And so with the priestly ministry of Jesus, there are no more copies. No more copies, which only share a glimpse of the glory of the original. There are no more things hidden with respect to our redemption. Did you hear that? No more mysteries hidden. It's all brought out into the light. The light of his glory illuminates it so that we receive for the first time that information, that revelation that we need to better understand the nature of God and our salvation. It is in and through the ministry of Jesus Christ that our spiritual eyes are now lifted up to the true tent of God, which is in heaven, where we see Jesus Christ ministering to God as one who has been glorified and ascended to heaven and as one who has gloriously fulfilled the duties of a perfect high priest who has no weaknesses and no limitations whatsoever a high priest who is now a high priest of great and exceeding excellence, more so than any ministry that has ever been performed prior to him or ever will be. And where is the excellence of Christ's ministry seen most brilliantly? Where is the excellence of Christ's ministry seen most brilliantly when it comes to the joy of God's people? Well, no doubt all of Christ's ministry is presented in Scripture as being far more excellent than God's people could ever have imagined. Everything that Jesus did and touched and said and did in course of ministry is far more excellent than we could have even imagined. 
far more excellent than any of us could have ever deserved. And yet I want you to notice in Hebrews chapter 8, and this is critical to, to grasping Hebrews 9 and 10, is that the writer to the Hebrew points to the ministerial work of Jesus as the mediator of a new covenant as the best way of displaying this excellence. His role as the mediator of the new covenant is the best way of expressing and displaying his true excellence, the excellence of his ministry to his own redeemed people. For while Jesus displays the peerless excellence of his ministry over all of creation, over all of divine providence, it is his ministry as the mediator of a new covenant, of a far better covenant than the old covenant, that Jesus stands forth most beautifully in the rest of this chapter. So it's kind of amazing if you think about what the writer to the Hebrews is doing here. He's presenting the excellence of Jesus so that we understand that what Jesus then ushers in, in terms of the new covenant, which is really a major theme within this book, is with the understanding that it's all under his excellence. It's all under the excellence of his ministry, and it is the most excellent demonstration of all that he does. The writer of this epistle states here in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 8, but as it is, or as it appears most evident now in redemptive history, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the ministry that he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Therefore, if we would see Jesus in the fullness of his glory and in the greatest display of his goodness, we should look to, we should study him as our great mediator and our covenant head. Our great mediator and our covenant head. For it is in these roles that God the Father has given him a ministry that is better than anything that God's people saw or observed under the domain of the old covenant. Why is it better? It's better because it is centered on him. It is centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, as we'll see over the next few weeks, Lord willing, that it is Christ in view of his mediatorship over the new covenant that stands as the major theme throughout the rest of this epistle. For while the old covenant pointed to Christ, and it did point to Christ, we know that. We know that Christ was behind all of its ordinances and regulations and ceremonies. The new covenant is the full revealing of Christ and his greater glory. The new covenant is all about Christ. Christ is above all. He is the subject as well as the one who unfolds the subject. And this is why the, the new covenant is referred to here in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6 as the covenant, which he not only reveals, but mediates. 
He mediates it. It's his personal mediation. It's his plan. It's his shepherding. It's his work. For there was a sense in which Moses had been the mediator of the old covenant. Moses gave it. Moses administered it. And that was an important covenant. That's, that's what Moses did. But when it comes to the new covenant, there is no earthly administrator in the same sense that Jesus Christ is as our heavenly administrator. Only Jesus Christ is the presenter. Only Jesus Christ is the administrator. Only Jesus Christ can deliver us from the curse of the law <clears throat> that was associated with the old covenant. And this makes the new covenant a far better covenant in every sense of the term. Then lastly, and I'll, I'll close on this point this morning, the new covenant is a far better covenant because it is, as the writer states here at the end of verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 8, enacted on better promises. Better promises. What kind of promises? Well, not the kind of conditional promises that were given and imposed on the people under the old covenant. You remember that there were promises under the old covenant, but they were conditional. There were promises like this. Do this and then you will live. Do this and then you will live. But this covenant rests in gospel promises. Gospel promises. Believe in Christ and what he has done. Not what you must do, but what he has done. And you shall have peace with God. For the better promises of the new covenant are not those that lead us back to the law and to the curse of the law, but they are those that remind us of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. They are promises about Christ that we embrace by faith. May our focus as we consider the nature of the new covenant over the next few weeks be upon Jesus Christ and the peace that he gives those who rest under his new covenant headship. For Christ, as a minister and a mediator of a new covenant and a more excellent ministry, deserves our adoration and our allegiance. And those who trust in Jesus Christ as this better minister, as this better mediator, will not be put to shame. Those who trust in Jesus Christ as this better minister and better mediator will never be disappointed. Never. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for these six verses of Hebrews 8. And what wonderful and glorious things they reveal to us. They reveal to us that there are heavenly realities that we are not always mindful of, realities that are beyond our sight, 
realities that until Christ were really beyond our comprehension, but because of Jesus Christ and his goodness, we now see that these heavenly realities have come into focus, and we see that Jesus as our heavenly minister, as that far better minister with a far better ministry, has now entered into those heavenly places. We get a glimpse, we get an understanding of what he actually did that no one else could possibly do, and how in doing that we as the people of God benefit profoundly, eternally, permanently because of his work. And Father, these passages that we've considered this morning also remind us of what we owe to him, given the fact that he's given us all these things, and best of all, a better covenant, a better covenant to live under, an unconditional covenant established by his own blood that promises us as believers peace with God, eternal peace, eternal life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in this information today and we trust in Jesus for this eternal life. And we ask you to help us to embrace it, to live in light of it and to serve Jesus Christ in a way that he deserves. Thank you, Father, for pulling back the curtain for us today through this text, helping us to see who Jesus really is and what we really have and what is really coming that is far more excellent than anything we could have imagined. Thank you for your goodness, for your kindness, for your generosity. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.